Good morning. What a joy to be together, to come together and praise the name of our Lord together, to meet in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege we have. I hope you don't ever lose sight of that. What a privilege we have to meet here in freedom and in peace, to enjoy the praises of our God, to enjoy the fellowship of one another, to experience the dear and blessed presence of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus himself with us as we fellowship together. What a privilege we have. I hope you never lose sight of that. I hope that, that whenever you're able, whenever you're well enough, uh, that, uh, that you're in church, whether it's here or wherever your home is, and taking advantage of, of the liberty that we have in Christ and the liberty we have in this land. I want to uh, express my appreciation to uh, Chris Milkey and their committee. I don't know if you ever get appreciated in these meetings or not, but maybe I could just ask if, if you've come to the preaching today, and I hope you have at least some of you. Would you stand, Chris, and the committee, the, the outreach committee, would you stand? And uh, these are the folks that uh, are at least willing to admit it, that they've, 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 they've no, please keep standing. No, no hold on, hold on. Uh, yeah, that's right. Keep, keep, I, I want you to keep standing for a moment because I have another announcement. Uh, that's right. Please stand. So not only are they sponsoring this, this conference this weekend, but they're also, they've made arrangements to host the Perspectives class, which is uh, the Perspectives on a World Mission, that begins hosted at this church in the middle of January. And we hope that you'll take advantage of the fact that your home church is hosting this for 15 meetings from January right through to the end of April. And please see one of these uh, or, or sign up at, 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 when the sign-ups are available. To plan to attend Perspectives beginning in the middle of January right here at the Westchester Church. I, I, I hope you'll do that. Um, today is the day of, it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Uh, we don't, we, we reference it from time to time, but we don't very intentionally talk about persecution much. Uh, th th there was a time in England, for example, when every home had two books. They had the Holy Scriptures, and they also had a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. John Fox was an English clergyman who died in uh, 1587, but he left this legacy of traditions and stories that he had gathered through the years of the martyrs from the very beginning of the church until his time. Uh, I, I hope that you'll get a copy of this. If you don't have one of these, every home in America today should have Fox's Book of Martyrs. And read it from time to time, if you would. It will strengthen your soul. A Christian uh, statistician uh, uh, put together some numbers, and he claims that uh, from the beginning of the church until now, until the 21st century, 70 million Christians have been martyred, their blood shed for the name of Christ. 70 million. I suspect many of those in the 20th century. The book of Revelation, chapter 11 and verse 6, tells us that there will come a day when the whole 
number of martyrs is complete. But it seems pretty obvious that day is not yet. People are still dying for the name of Christ around this world. So, so when I was asked to preach this morning, I immediately thought, well, you know, we have to tell the stories of, of those who suffer, and we certainly will do that. Thank you, Rich, for your marvelous presentation during the uh, ABF hour this morning. Thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness to here my wife and I go in and out to Romania. We always know we're coming home here. But you live in the Czech Republic. God bless you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness, Rich and Susan. I thought, well, we've got to tell their stories this morning. But as I thought about it, you know, persecution really isn't the main story of a day like this. The main story of a day like this is God. Because the story of the church is his story. The story of our lives is, is his story after all. And so, and I, I will try to explain this title a little bit. So our title this morning is Thin Places, Disciples, Persecution, and the Power of God. In Ireland, the Celtic Christians use this expression, thin places, to refer to a geographical location where they could go and, and experience the presence of God in a very special way so that the that the line between heaven and earth was indeed very narrow it was very thin a thin place they could go and experience the divine right here on earth now I'm not suggesting that we run around the world and we we look for thin places maybe you have a place you like to go where there's there's a sunset or a mountain view or an ocean view that that brings you especially close to God I hope you do but we're really talking, using that term today to describe circumstances right here on earth today where we live, where we experience the presence of God in a special way. I, I loved what you said, Rich, earlier this morning. You said that, that uh, for, for those who suffer, that uh, they see it as a way of growing closer to Jesus. And really that can happen in our lives as well. Think of the times in our own life when we experience the Lord in a very special way. Sometimes it's during devotions. And, and we, we run across a verse and the Holy Spirit just nails our eyes and our heart on that verse. And, and it's like God is saying, I'm, are you listening? Because I'm speaking. And he wants to say something in your heart. And you, we take that away from it. Oh, wasn't it great? The Lord, wow, 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 the Lord's with us. Or Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in your midst. And so we, we come together. And we come, we have, it's amazing because we can come with expectancy. It isn't just Jim and Joe and Jack and Jill that we're meeting. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is there as well. And, and sometimes we hear a testimony and we go, oh, we go home. And say, oh, testimony. Wow. Wow. The Lord spoke through that testimony a thin place. We experienced his presence in a special way. Richard Warmbrand talks about those who suffer. I do have in the pulpit with me, and I'll be using it a bit this morning, Tortured for Christ. He speaks of, of those who suffer for Christ. And he says, he says, the Christians who suffered for their faith in prisons could love. He says, I am witness that they could love God and men. And as he saw that happen, he was able to testify about it in his marvelous, marvelous book here. 
The psalmist tells us, Psalm 34 and verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Have a broken heart? God promises that he's there with you, seeing you through that experience as well. Paul's testimony as he was in the city of Corinth, uh, recorded for us in Acts chapter 18, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid to go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you for I have many people in this city who are my people. A thin place, right in that godless city of Corinth. The Apostle Paul heard from the Lord in a special way to strengthen him, to carry on and to speak boldly in the name of Jesus. And Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verses 11 and 12. I think this is going to be on our screen. Uh, He recalls how Timothy has closely followed his ministry. And he says, you were were with me and you're aware of my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. And yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So as we think about persecution in our relationship to God and how we do grow in our relationship to God through suffering, two realities are front and center this morning. The first is the reality of Satan. Satan hates us. And Satan longs for us to fear him. He longs for us to live in dread of him. Sue and I have been going to Romania for, we've been there more than 40 times since 1990. And, and uh, in the early 90s, I would go and I would stay with, with a dear man in our church there in the city of Craiova. His name was Cornell and his wife, Florica. And we got to know them well. We were always welcome guests in their home. Dear people, love the Lord. And one morning, um, we'd eaten breakfast already. It was 7 o'clock. Cornell was about to leave for work. And his phone rang. And he went over and answered the phone. And it was about a 20-second conversation. And in the course of that conversation, I saw his face turn white. He hung up the phone. I said, Cornell, I thought there'd been a death in the family. I said, Cornell, what's happened? He said, it's the local police chief. He says he wants to come and see me at 4 o'clock when I get home from work. And Cornell lived with that threat all day long. Came home from work, 4 o'clock came, nobody showed. Didn't show up. It was the old intimidation game that the communists used. Satan longs that we fear him. And it upset Cornell. Officially, communism had, been, had died on Christmas Day, 1989, when the dictator and his wife were executed by the Romanian army. But it's old habits of fear die hard. And that fear lived with him all day. I saw it's a horrible thing. So Satan hates us and he wants us to fear him. But the other reality that's front and center this morning is even greater. God loves us. God loves us. And he wants to comfort us. He wants us to know him. Satan would destroy us but God can and will rescue us. And you may be thinking this morning, well, you know, this is all very interesting, but you know, I don't feel very persecuted. I've got this great life in America, and it's, man, I'm living the American dream here. You know, I'm... But you know, whether or not you feel like you're experiencing persecution or not, you and I have an obligation to pray for those who are persecuted 
And we have an obligation to protest and to speak out and to support them in any way that we can. And so in our scripture this morning, the Apostle Paul teaches us to pray that even in persecution we can meet God and know him. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. This is a marvelous tome. 2 Thessalonians. And we're going to read a couple of verses from each of the three chapters here. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Let's, let's uh, stand up for the word, shall we? So 2 Thessalonians, with your Bibles open, if you don't have a Bible, I think there's one in the, the rack there in front of you, 2 Thessalonians. I meant to get the page number, but anybody have that page number? Okay. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul, this is a church that suffered persecution. I'll share about that in a moment. To this end, no, verse 11, excuse me. To this end, we always pray for you. Chapter 1, verse 11. This end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill your resolve for good and every, every work of faith, notice these words, by his power, so that the name of our Lord, see, God has a stake in our suffering. Here it is. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much in those words, but let me, let me just uh, say that he is, he is pointing us now to the power of God that is experienced through prayer. Look with me over at chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17. Paul prays for them. This is his actual prayer. He says this. Chapter 2, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Wow. Wow. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Now look over to chapter 3. And then I'm just going to have you look at his prayer here in verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. Here's what he prays. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. It is a gracious word. It is a holy word. It is what we need. Lord, strengthen us in this hour and in every hour. By the word of God, may we cling to it. May it be our daily bread. May we eat it. May we digest it every day. And by this word, may you keep us from deception. May you keep us from discouragement. And may you keep us on the path with Christ. We pray this in his wonderful name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the background of Thessalonians goes like this. In A.D. 49, Paul and his companions came to the city of Thessalonica. It was the major city, the main city in Macedonia. It was on the road that, uh, the, the, that led to Rome from the east. It was a main highway. It was a, it was a place where you could get anything you wanted. It was that kind of place. And uh, it was, they had a, a Jewish population that was large enough to have a synagogue. And so they went to the synagogue, and for three Sabbaths, they... Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, showing them that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead and that that Jesus is this Christ. And as a result of that reasoning for three Sabbaths, uh, some of the Jews believed. 
And uh, many of the God-fearing G- uh, Greeks came to know Christ. And many of the leading women in that place came to know Christ. And a good number of pagans who, were, who had been idol worshipers came to Christ as well. And as soon as they came to Christ, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a day or two. And the enemy attacked. Some of the Jews from the synagogue who resented some of their people coming to Christ got a crowd together and they caused a riot. And the whole city was in an uproar, to say the least. And uh, Paul and Silas had to leave town. Uh, <clears throat> some of the, the, those who'd come to Christ had, were arrested and had to post a bond, a, a, a monetary bond to, to be released. And, and as, as Paul would write to them later in his first letter, the First Thessalonians chapter 2, he'd use the words, I was torn away from you, torn away from you. Paul regretted having to leave town after only three weeks with them. He wondered, is this church going to make it? And so he writes two letters back, and that's First and Second Thessalonians, to remind them of, that God is stronger than anything they're facing, and that he is praying for them, and he loves them, he cares for them. And, and so the first thing we see here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, is that prayer relies on God's power. It, it, it magnifies God's power. It points us to God. Whenever, you know, whether you're in a hallway here or you're in a classroom or you're, you're meeting in a ladies' group or a men's group or a Sunday school class, whenever we pray, we invite God in. We say, no, we can't, we can't handle this on our own. We, we need God here. We need God here. And that's what, that's what Paul was doing. He says in, in verse 11, he says to them that... Uh, He's praying that they may be worthy of their calling, that, that God may fulfill every resolve for good. Now, Paul is thinking the best of them, isn't he? That God may fulfill every resolve of yours for good and every work of faith by his power. That's what God does. And, and all of this is, is to remind them and us that when we suffer, we who know the Lord, are not alone. God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't stopped working just because some opposition has come. People are whispering, they're gossiping, they're saying bad things. No, 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 no. God hasn't left. And God isn't silent. God is active in our midst. And that's why he says, by his power. And he's praying for that power to be released. Wormbrand talks about the suffering they endured in prison and he says an amazing thing. These are words that I just need to get a hold of. He says, One great lesson arose from all the beatings and tortures and butcheries of the communists, that the spirit is master of the body. We felt the torture, but it often seemed as something distant and far removed from the spirit, which was lost in the glory of Christ and his Presence with us. Is, is, is that real? Are, are these just pretty words? No, no. This man experienced this. These are words talking about the power of God that is active in us, even in the midst of suffering. Paul is reminding us we, we don't depend on our own power. We just depend on getting our stuff together and putting a smile on the face and doing our shucking and jiving that we do, trying to stay on this thing, and you know, we got to stay ahead of it. No, 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 no. It's not about us. 
Paul says, no, we depend on God. And he, remember how he, he testifies to the Corinthians about what happened in Asia in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not going to turn to it. I just want you to hear the story. He says how in Asia we were in such trouble. I despaired even of life. He said, I thought, I thought it was the end. I thought he was going to die. And, uh, and then he says in 2 Corinthians 1.9, he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 1. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Does it matter if people pray? You know, we get, these, we get these wonderful bulletins that come out by email from this office. And they're pleading with us to pray. They're calling on us to pray. They're inviting us to pray. Paul says it makes a difference. He said the blessing that God granted us was in response to the prayers of many. I think of Pastor Andrew Brunson, Brunson recently released from custody from prison in Turkey, and how... Christians, I believe Christians around the world prayed for him. It's okay to pray for release. It's okay to pray for protection. Yes, some will not be released. Yes, some will be killed and will seal their testimony with their own blood. We know that's going on today, but, but Paul prays. Paul prays that he'll be delivered. I think it's okay for us to pray that way as well. The second, the second thing we see in Paul's letter to 2 Thessalonians is this, that Paul recalls God's gifts of grace, that prayer recalls God's gifts of grace as we suffer. Look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Look at, look at what Paul says here. Let me read this verse again, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us And gave us, that's the gift, he gave us eternal comfort and good hope. How did it come? Through grace, not because we deserved it, not because we merited it. It came through grace. May he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I want to say to you, is somebody reviling you today? You know, there are levels of persecution. And it's good for us to be aware of that. Sometimes it's just people talking about us. And sometimes they... They get real bold and they talk to us. Now I'm saying this behind your back. I'm going to say it to your face. You stink, you know. They, they, come with, they come with this stuff. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? You think you know you're going to heaven? How do you know that? I mean, you hear this stuff all the time. If you are being reviled, if you are being bullied, whether it's behind your back or to your face, I want to say this to you. I want you to remember that God loves you. The first gift of grace here is God's Love, He says, who loved us. Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us. He loved us. He loved us. You know, you know what a difference that can make in someone's life? When you communicate with someone who's suffering, remind them that God loves them. Remind them. Don't, don't hesitate. To, don't be shy about saying, God loves you. Oh, he loves you. He loves you. Oh, he loves you much does he love you? He loves you enough that he gave his only son on the cross while you were still a sinner that you might know how much he loves you. 
You know, we need to be reminded. When people, when the world turns on us, we need to be reminded of that. And then be reminded of that. And then, then he says there's comfort from God. And it's not just any comfort. He says in verse 16, it's God's eternal comfort. Eternal comfort. Our sufferings are going to end someday, right? Do you know that? Hope you do. Our sufferings are temporary. Our comfort is eternal. It says eternal comfort. Our comfort never ends. Our trials will. And notice the third gift of grace is hope, along with, he says, verse 16, eternal comfort and good hope. Good hope. This is not the phony hope of the world. This is not the hope. So this is not a, got my fingers crossed, I close my eyes, going to jump around three times and say the magic. None of that stuff. None of that stuff. This is good hope. This is hope you can take to the bank. This is hope that goes beyond this world. Um, it's a hope that keeps us from quitting. It hopes us from, keeps us from giving up. It means that because we see God's goodness directly ahead, all the signposts from Scripture and the testimony of believers through the ages tell us there's good stuff ahead, that we may see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, the psalmist says. Good hope because of that. Future hope. We act differently today. We act differently. We don't act like everybody else. If you will pardon a personal story about my mom. Is it okay to talk about your mom on a day like I hope so. I hope so. My mom was a wonderful Christian, and she prayed for me all my life, I found out later in life. And uh, <clears throat> Thanksgiving of 1997, she learned she had cancer, and she was... It's terminal. She wasn't going to make it. And I had a mission trip planned to Romania in February of 98. I had one guy going with me from the Johnston Church where I began to pastor in 97. And, and January came and February started. I said, Mom was failing. She, I said, Mom, I don't have to go to Romania. I said, I can put this off. Um, I said, what if, what if you go to be with the Lord while I'm gone? She said, it doesn't matter. She said, I'll see you in heaven. That's okay. Is that good hope? I think it is. is that good? Does that affect the way we act today? Does it affect the way we think? I think it does. And she said, I said, oh, oh that sounds good. I, I know you're saying that, but, but I'll just cancel. No, no. She said, don't you even think about canceling that trip. You're supposed to go to Romania, and I'm supposed to go to heaven. And I'll see you in heaven. So I went to Romania, took the one guy with me, who now, by the way, is in ministries and missions, actually. So it wasn't because, I think it was more in spite of that trip than because of that trip, actually. <laughs> because he had to stay in the only, with the only family who had outdoor plumbing in, uh, in Cryova in those days. I held that against him. I didn't know if he ever forgave me for that. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I got home, and Mom was comatose. I, she never spoke to me. I did speak to her. I don't know if she could hear me again. But I will see her again in the mansions of light. That is God's good hope, and it affects the way we act today. My wife had to share with me some words of scripture just this last year when I was a bit down. Somebody was chewing on me, and, and she said, Honey, remember what Jesus promised? She said from, from the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, 
For great is your reward in heaven, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. She she had to remind me of that. Thank you for that. I needed that kick in the backside, didn't I? Yeah, I needed that reminder. that She said, honey, you're getting rewards in heaven for putting up with this. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, we forget those things, don't we? You know, one of the the joys we had when we go to Romania in the summers is we we take teams from here. If you were on the team to uh, Romania this summer, would you just stand? If you were on our our team, our Romania team, would you just stand around the room? God bless you. We took uh, several from this church, Jen in the back, Sherry, Sue. And I, if somebody else stood, I didn't see. I'm sorry. But uh, we take teams, and we, we do an, an English language evangelism camp. And one of the things we do at those camps is we, every night we have, we have two of our, uh, our team, team members, two of our staff who are leading the camp, two of them share their testimony. And one of them was, one of those testimonies was by Justin, who's an American, he's from Clear Lake, and he just came on staff with International Messengers, and he shared his testimony of how before he was a Christian, he was a young punk. And he was a little overweight when he was a young punk, and people made fun of him, pudgy, you know, you know, slurs and fat boy and all that stuff. And he got tired of that, and he said, when I got to high school, he said, I learned the power of words. So he said, I learned to persecute people in response. And he said, I just started being mean to people, I started bullying people. And then about his senior year, he said he came to Christ. <clears throat> And he repented of that bullying. If you're being bullied, by the way, just be sure you don't bully others. Pray for those who are bullying you and know that God has a bigger plan for everybody here. So when he was a senior, he came to Christ and he repented of his bullying and he began to go to people he had bullied and he apologized to them. And he went to this one particular girl who had been his favorite target and he had bullied her a lot. And he said to her, I've become a Christian. I want you to know I'm so sorry for the things I said to you. Would you forgive me? And she began to cry. She began to weep. And she said, if only you knew how many times I thought about taking my life when you said those things to me. It broke his heart to hear that. God gives us comfort and good hope when we trusted him. There's a third thing that we see here through prayer. Prayer calls us to obey God as we suffer. Paul says this in his one verse prayer. Now I'm back in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Paul begins this this chapter by humbling himself and and asking them to pray for him. It's it's amazing. It's an amazing appeal he makes in verses 1 and 2. He says... He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. So he says, pray for the, pray for the message. And then he says in verse 2, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Remember that. Not everybody has faith. There are wicked and evil people around who persecute. And then he prays for them in verse 5. Let me read it again. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. He prays for them two things. First, he prays that their hearts may be filled with God's love as they suffer. Luke 6, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, 
Pray for those who abuse you. I hope you're doing that. I hope you're learning to do that. It is the way we follow Christ in the midst of all these things. Do you get a little journal in the mail? I hope you're getting it called Voice of the Martyrs. Any of you get this thing? It's worth it. The current, the current uh, edition for November has this testimony of, of Vong, who's, who's a, a man who lives in Laos, and, and uh, he's part of the, the, the church there, the underground church. And, and one day, a, a man comes to his wife and says, I, I have to apologize to you because a few weeks ago, I tried to shoot your husband. Actually, it was a couple years before. I tried to shoot your husband under mist. But he said, since then, I've stolen a Bible, and I've been reading about your God. And he said, I've become a Christian, and, and I want to apologize to you and your husband for trying to, to kill your husband. And he said, your God is an amazing God. And Vong talks about that he was glad, of course, the Lord spared him, but he said he was honored that, that he could have died for Christ. And he says in this little article that he says it's not so much important as to him when he dies as how he dies and for the reason he dies. What a testimony. And he says at the end, he says this. God says to love others and have no fear. Why do we fear other people if we're supposed to love them? You have to love fully in your heart and not see others as the enemy. I don't see the government as the enemy. I don't see any men as the enemy. I only see... People who need love, we need to love them and do good to them. Like Jesus said, we should pray for them and bless them. Next, Paul's prays that their hearts will be strengthened by the example of Christ's endurance. May may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Christ endured. He, he, He didn't fall away. He hung in there. Peter writes to us, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. He says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. While doing good. You've heard the story. It's been in the news lately, but I want to remind you of it. It's the story of the, the mother in Pakistan who was sentenced to death for basically for being a Christian. And she served, I think, eight years is the story. And she was just released in the last week from prison. And it seemed like she's going to be fine, but now there are huge protests in Pakistan that the Supreme Court of the country would release her. And uh, on Wednesday, the Supreme Court of Pakistan overturned the conviction. Her name is Asia, just like the continent Asia, Bibi, B-I-B-I, Asia Bibi, a Christian woman sentenced to death for blasphemy. And the story goes on that now her life is in danger. She hopes that she and her family can leave the country, but uh, they're being threatened by the anger of the crowds there. And uh, here's, here's what I'd like you to, to know. While she may have finally prevailed in court, neither she nor her family are safe. As soon as the verdict was announced, protesters took to the streets and merchants shuttered their shops. The leaders of one Islamic group called for the judges on the Supreme Court in Pakistan to be killed, which, as we have seen, isn't an idle threat. Pray for Asia Bibi 
and her family that they can leave Pakistan. And then the application is from our scripture as well this morning. The application for us is this, hold tightly to God's word. Hold on to God's word. It's what Paul says, it's what he claims. It's counsel to the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, he says this, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by a spoken word or by our letter. And of course, those traditions are the equivalent of Holy Scripture. We have that today. We have the Scripture today. So hold on to the Scripture in the midst of suffering. Don't use suffering as, as an opportunity to say, well, you know, I'm a bit depressed and I haven't felt like reading the Bible. Oh, no, 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 no. It ought to be the opposite. When challenges come, dig into the Word. Take it in. You normally spend whatever time you spend a day reading the Word. Triple it. Get into this Word. Let this Word wash over your soul day after day, moment by moment, hour by hour. Let it, fill, let it direct your thinking. And it will fill you again with resistance and courage and steadfastness, the steadfastness of Christ. That you can love as he has loved you. That you can pray even as Jesus is praying for you. Warren Band tells this story, and it's, it's, it's one of the most extraordinary examples of Christian love that I've ever heard, and I, I share this a lot. If you're in my Sunday school class, you've probably heard it before. Forgive me for repeating myself. I don't think I've used it on a Sunday morning here since I haven't preached here on a Sunday morning. So he tells this story. He says, When one Christian was sentenced to death, he was allowed to see his wife before being executed. His last words to his wife were, you must know that I die loving those who kill me. They don't know what they do, and my, re- my last request of you is to love them too. Don't have bitterness in your heart because they killed your beloved one. We will meet in heaven. The words impressed the officer of the secret police. who attended the discussion between the two. He later told me the story in prison where he had been sent for becoming a Christian. Beloved, we have resources. We have power. We have graces. And we have a call to obedience that the world knows nothing about. And come what may, bring whatever they might bring, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I can stand. I want to share one more thought from Wormbrand with you this morning that I'm done. He says that when he was in prison, he would often challenge his torturers. And he was, he was trying to see if there was any humanity in them. And he would, he would say, we're men, you're men. Can't you see what you're doing to us? Have you no feelings about this at all? And he said they would often quote Lenin, who said, well, if you want to make an omelet, you have to break eggs. He said, we're not eggshells. We're human beings. It made no difference. He saw that atheism had drained the sympathy, had drained the compassion out of them. And here's what he said in response. He said this. I learned from them. As they allowed no place for Jesus in their hearts, I decided I would leave not the smallest place for Satan 
in mine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with a perfect love. And you have ordained for us at times suffering that we might know you better and love you all the more. Lord, in those times, grant us the power and the grace and the obedience to know you better and better and to serve you well, that our testimony might be what you want it to be. Lord, I, Lord, there's a lot of people here this morning. And I don't know the condition of every heart here this morning, but Lord, you do. And Lord, I pray that if there's even one person here who's holding back from God, Lord, if there's even one person here who does not lower the Lord Jesus Christ, that this morning, before they leave this place, before they stand up from their place in the pew, I pray that this morning, Lord, that they would renounce the hatred of Satan that it perhaps even now is filling their heart and life, and they would accept the love of God that is knocking at the door of their heart. I pray, Heavenly Father, that if there's even one person here this morning who does not know Jesus, that they would receive Christ by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, and be saved. Lord, would you do that? Would you open that person's heart? Would you allow that person right now to say, yes, Jesus, yes, God, I renounce Satan, I renounce his power, I renounce his works, and I want Christ to fill my heart right now. Amen. Lord, work in that person's heart. May they confess that to somebody, even before they leave this morning or soon. Tell them that they have come to Christ. Lord, fill us with your spirit as we go this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.